Welcome to Boston Confidential, Beantown's true crime podcast. Boston is a great city, but there's more to it than the Freedom Trail and Fenway Park. There's a startling underbelly to the city, and Boston Confidential will take you on a guided tour of the hub of the universe, Boston, Massachusetts. Hey everybody, welcome back to Boston Confidential. My name's Barry McGuire, and I'm your host. I'm a 20-year private investigator on the streets of Boston. And I help run a company called Impact Due Diligence Investigations. If you need anything in terms of investigative services, feel free to contact me at Impact. If I can't help you personally, I'll certainly direct you to the right person or agency. Hey guys, welcome back to Boston Confidential. Just a bit of house cleaning stuff. We got a tremendous response from our last episode on the McGee family homicides in Andover, Massachusetts. I know this case is a true whodunit. And it doesn't get the attention it deserves by the media. And I don't know why. Simply a strange case, guys. They tried to dispose of the SUV, or they did dispose of the SUV on Prince Street in Boston, which is the north end, the home of the New England mob. But I have to tell you, that is supposed to make the mob look guilty. It actually makes the mob look innocent because no self-respecting mobster or half a mobster would light a car fire on Prince Street because they know what would happen to them. So, just a strange case all around. All right, guys, before we get into this week's episode, I wanted to give a shout-out to a podcast I've been listening to. This is not an advertisement. I'm not getting paid for this. The name of the podcast is Behind Bars, Cocktails in Wasted Nights. The podcast is produced by a comedian, formerly a local guy, Greg Studley. And it is absolutely hilarious, this podcast. you got to check it out, guys. It's reminiscent of Tucker Max from earlier in the 2000s. This kid can tell a story, and it's hilarious. If you want to start on this podcast, and you should, start at episode three, the Stormy Daniels episode. Hilarious. All right, guys, we're on to our episode this week. This week's episode focuses on the murder of Jeremiah Hurley and the wounding of Francis Foley of the Boston Police Department in 1991 in the Roslindale section of Boston, Massachusetts. These two Boston police officers were assigned to the bomb squad, and they were called to a residence at 39 Eastbourne Street in Roslindale, Massachusetts. The bomb squad was called out on this day, October 28, 1991, because Thomas Shea Sr. had pulled his car into his own driveway and something fell out of it. Right beneath the driver's seat was a black box and it looked like a bomb and they called the police. The patrolman arrived, assessed the situation, and in fact, they believed it also to be a bomb and they called the bomb squad and they arrived there pretty quickly. Now, just to tell you a little bit about Rosendale, Massachusetts, it's a beautiful community. It was then, it is now. Rosendale, Massachusetts is a neighborhood within Boston proper, so it's also Boston, Massachusetts. It is bordered by Hyde Park, which is another Boston neighborhood on one side, and West Roxbury on the other side, which I believe is the most western portion of Boston proper, West Roxbury. But Roslindale is a fine town, well-kept. I'd say it's probably middle class, maybe a little bit above now. 
most people work in the city, living in the city, but people commute in all directions from that area. So Jeremiah Hurley was age 50 at the time, and he was the lead on this case, and his partner was Francis Frank Foley. Jeremiah Hurley had been on the job about 23 years by that time, and he was 50 years old, and Frank Foley had similar amount of time in. These were veteran officers. Let me tell you something about the bomb squad of the Boston Police Department. It's a sought-after unit, but they do a hell of a lot of training. It's not a real super cushy position. You really have to have an interest in explosives and whatnot because they train all the time. And the reason they train is illustrated within this case. So it's just devastating. But on October 28th, 91, the bomb squad rolls up to the Shea household in Roslindale and Hurley immediately identifies this thing as an active bomb and they take precautions but at a certain point they begin to try to disarm this thing because transporting this device was just too dangerous i don't know if people know this about bomb squads but you can't transfer these things under bridges you can't put them on the highway so if they come up with a bomb they have to find a way to dispose of it and typically that means either soaking it or having the bomb explode in a controlled environment. So I believe they were going with the second option there, trying to dismantle this bomb in a controlled environment. Unfortunately, as all too frequently happens with bombs, they're unpredictable. And this one blew up, and it blew up right in Officer Hurley's face. Unfortunately, Frank Foley was blinded in one eye. I don't know if he lost that eye, if it had to be removed, but he was blinded in that eye, and Jeremiah Hurley was killed in the blast. The media attention on this case was insane because whenever you have a bomb explode, you have immediate federal interest. The FBI will be at the door demanding to have access to the crime scene. And I think that's exactly what happened. The media attention in this case, the whole city went berserk over this. They thought they could possibly be a bomber running around Boston proper. Everybody was afraid this wasn't a one-of. It didn't appear that they had targeted the police from Jump Street. Mr. Shea appeared to be the original target, but man, it was a scary time there for a little while, not knowing if people were setting off bombs within the city of Boston. It's just a crazy time. So the BPD ramps up their investigation pretty quickly, but they're assisted by the FBI, and ultimately this will become a federal case, but the Boston police simply don't step aside when one of their offices is murdered and the other blinded, and at least in one eye. So the investigation ramps up pretty quickly. It does take some time, but by June they have indictments. And the people they indicted in this case was Thomas Shea Jr. The police and ultimately the prosecutors alleged that he tried to kill his own father with this bomb. But there was also another indictment. Alfred Trinkler was indicted as the bomb maker. Police and prosecutors alleged that he constructed this bomb. And this bomb was pretty high tech. It had at least two sticks of dynamite, blasting caps and a radio component of it. So I believe this bomb was set to be exploded when somebody 
flip the switch or press the button. And Albert Trinkler was, in fact, an electrical engineer. All right, guys, just a quick word from our sponsor, then I'll tell you how this case plays out. Hey, guys, just wanted to give a shout out to this week's sponsor, Podcorn. Podcorn's a marketplace for podcasters and advertisers. The ease of use of this product is absolutely insane. If I can do it, you can do it. You just fill out the prompts on the website and then you bid on whom you want to advertise with. It's that simple. And everybody wants to know about getting paid. Don't be afraid to think about that. Getting paid is the easiest thing. I've been paid sometimes within hours. There must be an algorithm with Podcorn because as soon as my podcast posts, the money's deposited in my account. It's that simple. And you never lose any creative control with Podcorn. I think listeners of Boston Confidential would agree. I would never give up not an ounce of creative control, and they don't ask you to. It's that simple. But with other products in the podcasting world, you have to be cognizant of that. Podcorn leaves creative control right where it belongs with the podcaster. All right, guys, Podcorn, check them out. All right, guys, I just want to quickly clear up some confusion in this case. A lot of people seem to remember this case, but they seemingly conflated with another explosive going off on a Boston police officer. Randy Lamatina in 1985 was captured on video and in photographs disarming a bomb. And that bomb went off in a control device, one of those control containers, and it blows up and it blew Randy back off of his feet and he kind of just fell down he almost lost his sight but he's okay now but people conflate that with being jeremiah hurley totally different case happened way before prayers to the lamentina family on that but they seem to be doing well so just don't conflate those two cases so thomas shea jr goes on trial first and it was kind of a i was going to call it an s show but Let's just go through it. The evidence against Thomas Shea was pretty overwhelming. The police and prosecutors say that the motivation in this case was twofold. There was apparently a $400,000 life insurance policy for Thomas Shea Sr. And Thomas Shea Jr. wanted that money. Also, there was a relationship between Shea and Trankler and it was a romantic relationship, so they say that was part of this devil's bargain. There are also some allegations of abuse in the Shea family. It is alleged that Shea Sr. did abuse his son, Mr. Shea Jr. So that's the motivation and allegations against Mr. Shea, guys. So ultimately, Thomas Shea Jr. was tried for conspiracy to commit murder and malicious destruction of property via explosive device, well knowing that the explosive would be used to kill or maim someone. And these are federal charges and they're very, very serious charges. Now in certain circles, legal circles really, in some reporting circles, some media circles, they say that there's not much evidence against Shea in this case. I disagree and I'm going to tell you about it. When this all happened, the Boston police and the FBI, who came in just afterwards, 
were very tight-lipped about the device itself, right? That's something the police want to keep close to the vest because if anybody claims they have done this dastardly deed, they'd have to describe how this bomb was built, right? And something that I believe was a benefit to the police and prosecutors in this case, Thomas Shea liked to talk. And in one interview, he mentioned the fact that this bomb was controlled by a remote control device. Well, that information had never been released anywhere. So this was used at trial. His interview was played at trial. He shouldn't have known that. Only a co-conspirator would know that this device would only explode through a remote control signal. He knew it. How did he know it? It's evidence. So Mr. Shea liked to talk, and he talked in prison, which is never a good idea. And he would boast around prison telling people, I'm boom, boom. I blew up that Boston cop. I'm a cop killer. I don't know if he's trying to make some street cred for himself, but he was claiming that he was involved in this homicide. Okay, guy, you're involved. You're definitely involved now. There was also evidence presented at trial that Shea had purchased the toggle switch involved in the bombing at a radio shack in town. And I believe he admitted to this, but I'm not entirely sure, but it was an accusation and it was submitted as evidence that he, in fact, bought the toggle switch for that bomb. An interesting aspect of this case is that some psychiatrist had testified that Thomas Shea Jr. had a psychological condition. I'm not going to try to pronounce it. It's something to do with fantasy. He says these crazy statements with no backing in fact, something to do with Fantasia, right? He has these fantastic ideas, I suppose, and there's no real backing to them. So if you were going to take this psychological assessment at face value, nothing, he says, could be held against them, right? It's just ludicrous. There was also some allegations that these two, Shea and Trankler, hadn't even known each other, but that was dispelled later through Trinkler's trial. Trinkler's roommate eventually testified. This was back in the day when an answering machine was actually a separate machine attached to your home phone. And so when you'd call these machines, anybody in the house could hear the message. So the roommate would overhear messages from Thomas Shea Jr. on Trinkler's machine. And this had went back two or three years. So they knew each other. They were friends and all that, so that was bullshit. All right, so Mr. Shea is convicted and he's sentenced to 10 years federal time. So the Boston police breathe a sigh of relief, one down and one to go. Next up is the trial of Alfred Trenkler, who was ultimately charged with first degree murder, malicious destruction of property, and a host of related crimes, including conspiracy. So it's 1993, and the federal trial of Alfred Trenkler gets underway. So as the trial jumps off, soon thereafter, it became apparent that Mr. Trenkler wasn't the guy everybody thought he was. He was, in fact, an electrical engineer, but he had admitted to the fact of constructing a bomb in Quincy, Massachusetts, just a few years before. He admitted to constructing it and was similar in design to the one used to kill Officer Hurley and partially blind Bomb Squad Officer Frank Foley. 
the devices were so similar. There was testimony from the ATF that this was a signature, a bomber's signature like they do in the Middle East. They can tell who it is by how he constructs his bomb. Well, that's Mr. Trinkler, and that's what they did. Compelling evidence right there. All right, guys, I'll tell you a little bit more about Mr. Trinkler's trial just after a quick commercial break. Hey, guys, I just wanted to give a quick shout-out to our new sponsor. It's another podcast, Cookies for Breakfast. This podcast is hosted by comedian Spark Tabor. And if you've ever seen any of his stand-up stuff, guys, this goes right into the podcast. It's hilarious. He covers all kinds of stuff, dating, life, pets, pop culture, and it all kinds of just runs together as one. Check out this podcast. You won't regret it, and you can thank me later. Cookies for breakfast, guys. Check it out. So, guys, back to the trial. Mr. Trankler is the pet project of various innocence projects in Massachusetts and probably nationwide. I'm not really following them because I just don't believe that he is, in fact, innocent. So these innocence projects are basically law students looking for courtroom experience, and I get it. I really do. And sometimes they do provide some societal benefit. But in this case, his innocence isn't there. He did do this. He had done it before. He admitted to constructing another bomb. He admitted this during his trial, or at least his attorney stipulated to the fact. He gave somebody a bomb. He constructed the bomb. And it was so similar to the one used to kill Officer Hurley and blind Officer Francis Foley that the ATF called this a signature. Okay, that's some of the most compelling evidence there is here. And these innocence projects just discount it. And you can't do that. There was evidence in Trinkler's trial that he was, in fact, present when a lot of the bomb-making materials were purchased at Radio Shack. They were purchased at a Radio Shack. Nobody knows what Radio Shack is anymore, but it was an electronics store, and they were everywhere, kind of for hobbyists and stuff like that, but they're gone now, bankrupt. Employees of that Radio Shack said Trinkler was in there with a young man who turned out to be Thomas Shea Jr.'s nephew. Trankler had sent the nephew into Radio Shack with a list to buy these components, but the nephew was taking so long, Trankler goes in himself and wants to see what the holdup is, and they continue to buy toggle switches and all this other stuff, components for the bomb, and it ended up being receipts for this stuff, guys. There was also eyewitness testimonies from the clerks at Radio Shack pointing right to Trankler. You know, some might say in this instance that there was more evidence against Trankler than there was against Shea, but against both of them, I think it's basically overwhelming. So when Mr. Trankler was arrested, he went to the Plymouth House of Correction for a stay, and he had been unable to keep his mouth shut, admitting to a jailhouse informant that he was, in fact, the person who constructed this bomb. I typically don't like jailhouse snitch testimony, but if it's used in conjunction with other evidence, I'm open to it. But they said Trankler had stated to this guy, the informant, his name was David Lindholm. And I don't know if he was his direct cellmate, but they had bonded according to Lindholm. And he had confessed that he constructed the bomb. He didn't place it on the car. He said that was Thomas Shea Jr.'s portion of it. 
he was just going to take some of the life insurance money, I guess, and he had a romantic relationship, or he was hopefully going to have a romantic relationship with Thomas Shade Jr. when this was all over, but he did confess to Lindholm, and Lindholm naturally spills his guts before the federal court. There was also some testimony from ATF agents that Trinkler went into the ATF headquarters to retrieve some business records that they had confiscated, and they had gotten a talking, and he was very arrogant and verbose, stating that if neither one of us talk, that's our business, and how can you prove anything? So he was kind of an ass in this, and I think they gave it back to him. Lindholm, the jailhouse snitch, relayed that Trinkler believed it was the Boston Police Department's fault because they didn't have protective gear on at the time of this explosion. And he was, again, arrogant like that. And that was a continuing theme throughout Trinkler's trial, his arrogance. And a strange aside to the story, the state charges when Mr. Trinkler had constructed the bomb that exploded in Quincy, Massachusetts five years previously, those charges were dropped. If the Commonwealth of Massachusetts had pressed on, they likely would have saved Jeremiah Hurley's life and Officer Frank Foley's eye. But that's merely speculation at this point. There may not have been enough evidence. I think the person he gave the bomb to was ultimately charged. I don't know what happened with the charges in the state of Massachusetts against Mr. Trankler for that case. So the trial goes on, and Alfred Trankler did not take the stand in his own defense, probably best for him, but he was ultimately convicted and sentenced to life in prison. He was convicted of first-degree murder in the conspiracy charges and all that. He has maintained his innocence and total innocence in this case since it first started. I don't buy it. The Innocence Project seems to, but they have to ignore a lot of evidence in this case. You have to twist yourself like a pretzel to believe Mr. Trankler's story in this one. So the Foley family and the Hurley family are about as happy as you can be that these two bums get convicted and they're shuffled off to prison. But unfortunately, that wouldn't last. In 2007, forgive me, I'm a little hazy on this timeline, but in 2007, Mr. Trankler appealed his conviction in his sentencing. Trankler's appeal was successful and his sentence was reduced to like 39 years. And the rationale behind this, and it was a good one for his attorneys, the rationale was this, that yes, even if Trankler made the bomb, he didn't have intent to kill Jeremiah Hurley. He had an intent to give the bomb to a friend. He didn't have the requisite intent to kill. Thomas Shea put that bomb on the car. He had an intent to kill. Just because it killed somebody else, that doesn't lessen the severity of the intent to commit murder. But that was on Shea and not on Trankler. And they were successful in that argument. So I believe his sentence was taken down to 39 years. But I'm hazy on this because there's been so many appeals. His sentence is lowered. It's reconstructed again, but I need to tell you about something else that happened very recently this month. Actually, I believe it was last week. This goofball Trinkler has tried everything to get out of prison, and then with COVID-19, 
he's having health problems in prison. Apparently his heart isn't pumping well. He's got heart problems. It's only producing 20% blood flow through the heart and all this. And it's a big sob story. And he wanted compassionate release on COVID-19 grounds. The judge recently denied that, but did state there was more further problems in Trankler's sentencing, and he reduced it further. And at this point, Alfred Trankler is scheduled to be released from prison in the next five years. And I have to tell you, this is a travesty of justice. First, this Trankler guy gets a skate on the Massachusetts charges for the first bomb he constructed, which destroyed a fish market. And then his bomb that he constructed killed the Boston police officer and partially blinded another one. I believe Mr. Trankler already got compassion because he deserves to be in the electric chair for what he did. He's already received that level of compassion, none of which did he show his victims. So, like, why do we need to release this guy? It seems time and time again, the federal government has an ache to release this bomber. And I have to tell you, the Foley family and the Hurley families are irate. They're absolutely irate. They have every right to be. To be quite frank, I thought this guy was going to get compassion or release, and that would have been even worse. Trankel was ultimately transferred due to this last hearing last week. He was transferred to the prison at Fort Devens, which has a medical facility. Fort Devens is a kiddie camp, guys. He might as well be free. If you've ever been out there, it's actually a beautiful place. The only upside to these changes are, guys, I don't think he's going to make it. I do think he's sick with heart disease or some heart problems. He claims he had been a two-pack-a-day smoker for 20 years and all that, but he deserves to go into the pauper's grave in the federal prison. That's where he deserves to go. And so that's where this case stands now, guys. I just want to tell you a little bit about the Hurley family and how they've persevered through this. Jeremiah Hurley and his wife had three children. And after he was killed at age 50, their mom was left to raise these children on her own. And she did so. And she did a great job. The three kids are now Boston police officers. And they have various ranks. And they do very well for the city of Boston. So kudos to them. I believe that family had two roads to choose from. They could let it ruin them. Or they could use it to strengthen them. They chose the latter. They chose the road of honor and respect. Jeremiah Hurley's kids fight against Mr. Trinkler. Every chance they get, they're there at every hearing, every parole nonsense, and all of it. So if you think you're going to slip something past them, you're not. Patrolman Francis Foley was forced to retire from the Boston police, and he never worked again. He has a tremendous case of PTSD, and his son says he still struggles with that today. Francis Foley's son is a fireman with the Boston Fire Department. So one thing I want to say to both families, and I don't know you, I'll probably never meet you. But one thing I can guarantee you is this. Your father's very proud of you. They are looking down on you and they see what you do. The city takes care of its own. The city of Boston's proud of you as well. Just an update on Mr. Shea. He did 10 years in prison. He was paroled early. I believe it was 2002. He lasted a few years, did some petty crimes, the usual nonsense, back in prison. He's in and out. At one point, he was a fugitive from justice, and the U.S. Marshals had a 
go get him at his mother's house and all this. He's just the mess. He's really not worth talking about. But I just wanted to remind you guys, you have a homework assignment for me, and I demand it. I demand you follow through. I want you to watch on Netflix, Trial 4. We're going to discuss it on the show. It involves the hellacious murder of a Boston police officer. At the time, I didn't think this case was much of a close call. And quite frankly, I've had a lot of problems with Netflix films on true crime. They're just so defendant-focused. I just have a real problem with it, especially making a murderer. So that's your homework assignment. Watch Trial 4, and we're going to discuss it. All right, guys, I'll see you on the flip side, and I'll get on to the next one. Talk to you soon. Mm -hmm.